Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Thursday, August 1st. In today's news, the Trump administration escalates tensions with Iran by imposing sanctions on their foreign minister. The Federal Reserve cuts interest rates for the first time in more than a decade, and the president's nominee to manage federal public lands doesn't believe the federal government should have any public lands, really. But first, the big idea. Joe Biden tried in Detroit last night to regain his footing by adopting a more aggressive and combative posture during the Democratic presidential debate. But he faced relentless attacks on his decades-long Senate record on race and criminal justice, immigration and health care, and his commitment to women's rights. The exchanges showcased many of the deep divides within the party that are taking on greater urgency as the candidates strive to make gains before the field narrows. Standing between Senators Kamala Harris and Cory Booker, Biden swiveled back and forth as his record on and commitment to issues of race were questioned in increasingly pointed ways. Later, Harris and Kirsten Gillibrand teamed up to criticize Biden's past positions on working women and abortion. Biden invoked Barack Obama as a shield. He asked rhetorically at one point, if I'm so terrible, why did Obama choose me to be vice president? But the former president's legacy also faced frequent scrutiny as candidates sought to a remarkable degree to distance themselves from his administration's trade policies and record on deporting millions of undocumented immigrants, as well as promoting proposals that could dismantle his signature health care law. Obama remains highly popular in the Democratic Party. The most recent polls show it's over 90 percent, making any internal critiques of his record politically perilous for candidates vying to become the Democratic standard bearer. But as several of the Democrats on stage Wednesday rushed to criticize Biden, they seem to grow increasingly comfortable with criticizing Obama's legacy by proxy. The Obama record on deportations, criminal justice, trade and health care was challenged implicitly and explicitly by several candidates. At some point, it seemed like Obama might have even been a Republican based on the way they were talking about him. Even Biden stepped away from the former president on one key issue, saying he no longer supports the Trans-Pacific Partnership a trade deal that Obama negotiated and which Biden just three years ago was the leading salesman for. If the first night was a showcase of the liberal versus moderate split within the party, the second night put on display other divides and a thirst to have a nominee who represents the party's growing diversity. Half of the 10 candidates on stage Wednesday were minorities, making it a historically diverse lineup. Much like the night before, The debate began with a prolonged 20-minute-plus, at times very intense, discussion about health care, with candidates sparring over whether to eliminate private insurance altogether as part of a push to provide universal coverage. Harris, who formerly supported Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All plan, which would abolish private insurance and put in place a government-run system, released a new proposal earlier this week that's more politically palatable. It would allow private insurance as long as it follows Medicare's coverage rules. Biden accused Harris of being inconsistent in her positions and of not being honest about the trillions of dollars in new taxes for the middle class that it would require. But the verbal crossfire was perhaps most frenetic during a prolonged exchange about the criminal justice system. Booker spent last week forecasting his lines of attack with an emphasis on Biden's criminal justice record as a senator, which resulted in harsh penalties for offenders. Referring to Biden's signature 1994 crime bill and the increase in African-Americans put in prison as a result, Booker called Biden the architect of mass incarceration. Biden responded by attacking Booker over his handling 
of the Newark Police Department while he was mayor. Biden said Booker stood by idly while the department engaged in stop and frisk policies that disproportionately targeted black men. Booker responded by saying, quote, you're dipping into the Kool-Aid and you don't even know the flavor. Now that she's in the top tier, Harris, meanwhile, faced stinging criticism from the left for her record as a prosecutor. The criticism was led by Tulsi Gabbard, the congresswoman from Hawaii. Gabbard said that Harris didn't adequately use her power as an insider to protect people victimized by the criminal justice system. She said Harris should apologize to the people who suffered during her reign as San Francisco's district attorney and California's attorney general. Harris said she's proud of her record as a prosecutor. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, the Trump administration imposed stiff sanctions on Iranian Foreign Minister Mohammad Javad Zarif, a dramatic step bound to further escalate tensions with Tehran. A senior administration official told reporters in a conference call last night just before the debate that Zarif has acted more as a propaganda minister than a diplomat. The announcement came as Trump's national security advisor said that nuclear-related sanctions on Iran would be waived again, despite the opposition of some of the administration's hardline officials. National Security Advisor John Bolton and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo both advocated ending the waiver, which allows Russia, China, and Europe to participate in Iran's civil nuclear program as permitted under the 2015 agreement from which the administration withdrew last year. Five current waivers were due to expire today, and the Treasury Department expressed concern about the collateral effects of ending them on the other signatories of the deal. In a statement about the sanctions on Zarif, Pompeo said the foreign minister was complicit in Iran's support of terrorists, torture, and other malign activities around the world. Zarif tweeted that he's just doing his job and that the sanctions won't affect him because all of his assets are in Iran. Senator Rand Paul, the Republican from Kentucky, Trump confidant, who met with Zarif recently to discuss back-channel communications with Trump, expressed concern about this. If you sanction diplomats, Paul said, you'll have less diplomacy. Number two, the Federal Reserve cut the benchmark interest rate by a quarter point to just under 2.25%. The goal is to bolster the country's economy amid early signs of a global slowdown. However, the central bank also inadvertently caused confusion about what it plans to do next, which disquieted the stock market. Fed Chair Jerome Powell, caving to pressure from Trump, said the Fed is going to do whatever it takes to, quote, sustain the expansion but he stopped short of committing to a series of rate reductions as Wall Street and President Trump have insisted that he pursue. That caused a sharp drop in the markets. By the end of the trading day, the Dow had lost 1.2% of its value. If the economy is in good shape, why is the Fed cutting interest rates in the first place? Lowering rates, the Fed's main way to boost the economy, is typically used in dire times, which it's difficult to argue the United States is experiencing right now. Instead, top Fed officials are defending this as what they call an insurance cut that's akin to getting an immunization shot in the arm. They want to counteract the negative effects of Trump's trade wars and prevent the United States from catching the same cold that Europe, China, and other places are coming down with. It's a tricky calculus. Realistically, one cut won't do very much. The reason the stock market has rallied so sharply in the last couple of weeks is an expectation that this is the first of several cuts. If the Fed does not do three cuts this year, the market could pull back making financial conditions tight again, even though the Fed is cutting rates to try to loosen conditions. And it must be said, this is all short-termism. The economy is going to go into recession. It's inevitable. And the Fed will have fewer tools in the toolbox to alleviate the pain for the American people. Number three, 
Trump's Interior Secretary David Bernhardt signed an order yesterday making the Wyoming native William Perry Pendley the acting director of the Bureau of Land Management. Pendley, who was formerly the president of a group called Mountain States Legal Foundation, was a senior official in Ronald Reagan's administration. He's an acolyte of the controversial Interior Secretary James Watt. In the three decades since serving under Reagan, Pendley has sued the Interior Department repeatedly on behalf of oil and gas prospectors. He sought to undermine protections of endangered species, including popular ones like the grizzly bear. And he's pressed to radically reduce the size of federal lands to make way for development. In a National Review essay that he wrote in 2016, Pendley wrote approvingly, quote, The founding fathers intended all lands owned by the federal government to be sold. All lands. He added that Westerners know that only getting title to much of the land in the West will bring real change. Pendley's ties to the far right and the oil and gas industry run deep. His group has received millions from the Koch political network and the beer tycoon Joseph Coors. Pendley will once again now be overseeing a coal leasing program that he was found decades ago to have badly mismanaged. More recently, in a September 2017 article again for National Review, Pendley attacked then-Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke for failing to be bold enough in undoing national monuments to open them up for development, which would include more oil and gas exploration. The fox is now back in the henhouse. And that's The Daily 202 for Thursday, August 1st. Thanks for listening. I'm James Hellman. I'll talk to you tomorrow. 